Are you tired of losing sales? Do you wish you had proven strategies that would help you increase your sales today, not in three months? You could Google it, but Google is in the information business. And I am in the transformation business. Welcome, Welcome. to the Snack-Sized Sales Podcast, where we will share three actionable sales strategies that you can implement in your business today to increase your sales tomorrow. This includes tactics, tips, and techniques from industry experts, influencers, and sales pros to help you shorten your learning curve and increase your bottom line. The more sales strategies we simplify for you, the shorter your sales cycle and the more money in the bank. Now your host, host, host. multi-award-winning sales expert and international speaker, Wesleyan Greer. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Snack Size Sales Podcast. Today, our guest is Jeff Sangali. How are you, Jeff? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Leslie? I'm doing lovely. Let me tell you guys a little bit more about Jeff. He is an experienced executive with over 25 years of conceiving and executing strategic business plans, steering organizational decisions as a change agent, launching new ventures, and bridging the gap between technology and commercialization. While at Lexmark International, Jeff progressed through the organization, developing practical experience in virtually every aspect of business manufacturing, supply chain, and logistics, also research and development. He took a bold leap from a Fortune 500 company to general manager of a startup, Aranja Cat, in 2019 to lead the life sciences company focused on innovative materials for soil, water, and plants. In 2018, he became the CEO and board member of Monty's Plant Food Company, an international developer, marketer, and seller of specialized soil amendment and plant fertility products. Under his leadership, Monty has tripled its revenue and profit in a very, very flat agricultural industry. In his spare time, Jeff helped launch startup brands like Focus Water. He holds a master's of electrical engineering degree and an MBA. Wow, you're pretty amazing there. You've done everything within a company. I love when people have worked on both sides of the supply chain, they can really understand what's happening when you're selling or you're leading a business if you work through the ranks. So tell us, how did you start your career and how did you get to where you are now? Well, it's, it's interesting because I, I picked electrical engineering. Uh, this is going to be a really good reason. My brother was a mechanical engineer and, and I heard that electrical was harder. So I wanted to be better than my brother. So I picked electrical engineering. So that was a really good reason. <laughs> So, uh, you know, I started my career in semiconductor design and development with Lexmark. And, you know, uh, the great thing about Lexmark was they had a great program for identifying people that were either technical leaders or business leaders, management leaders. And I was identified as a, as a management leader. And so with that, they sent me to get my MBA and then they worked me through different parts of the organization so that I could learn you know, everything from supply chain and logistics to quality to planning globally to product development and then strategy development. So I I was fortunate enough to really get a taste over about 14 years, all the different elements of the business. And uh, that was, you know, that was really key. But, you know, we, I was commuting about an hour or so each way. And my wife and I were starting a family and I wanted to be a good husband and I wanted to be a good dad. And that meant being there. And so I started looking for opportunities 
close by, and a friend of mine from church had sold a business with an entrepreneur in Louisville, and uh, he was starting up this life sciences business. And he called me and said, hey, are you interested? And I said, you bet. And it was scary, but my wife uh, my wife said, hey, what do you have to lose? Why don't you go for it? Let's do this. And so we, uh, we made that decision together. And in 2009, I left what I thought was everything that I knew and uh, joined this entrepreneurial company called OrganoCat. And the name sounds like we do cat food, but we really don't. <laughs> it stands for Organic Catalyst is what it means. Okay. Okay. So there are a couple of things there that I really wanted to drill down on. One is the fact that you, as a career person who had really climbed the ranks, you said, I need to do this for my family, which is something that a lot of people don't do. They are so focused on their career that a lot of times the family kind of goes by the wayside. So can you tell us a little bit more about how you felt internally having to step away from a company that you had been at for 15 years to almost, it sounds like, starting over? How did that make you feel internally and how did you overcome those emotions? Yeah, well, you know, from the very start of my career, I made an internal decision, sort of a a priority list in my life. And that list was to have balance, to have balance with my family, to make sure that I was always there for dinner every night that I could, to have a growing and vibrant marriage, uh, to spend time physically and spiritually to kind of work on myself and then to spend a high amount of energy in my work. And so it was sort of when I'm at work, I'm at work and I focus exclusively there. But then I make you know a point at the end of the day where, hey, it's time now to move to the other part of my life and I've got to give my best there. So it's really a balance. And um, that was a decision I made early on. And it's one that I've had to continuously come back to and remind myself because it's easy to get sucked in. You know, we're all professionals. Uh, We want to do the best we can. But at the end of the day, if our personal life, if our health, if our spiritual life, if our relationships aren't right, that ultimately will affect our work life. So it's symbiotic really all together. I love that. And it's, you made a conscious decision to do that. One thing that I often tell people is what is more important is the quality of time you're spending with your family and your loved ones. The quantity doesn't matter, but when you're there, be present, right? Don't half work and then half spend time with your spouse or half work and half spend time with your kids doing homework, be fully present. And when you do that and you really set your boundaries, that really, it spills over into your business success. So catalyst, electrical engineering, those are really kind of like oil and water. Those don't really go together well. So tell us as an electrical engineer, so it sounds like you worked in a, at Lexmark semiconductor industry and you transitioned to something that was, like I said, completely different, organic catalyst, which I'm a chemist, so you're speaking my language. Tell me about that transition for you. How did that work? Well, you know, I never was a great engineer, quite frankly, but what I did know how to do is I knew how to understand technology and I knew how to communicate it from a business perspective, from a practical perspective. And I'm a relationship builder and I'm my kind of my my best skills are organization and leadership. So, you know, what I did is is I learned, I had a mentor that told me, you know, from a technology standpoint, you have to learn to peel the onion as far as you can, at least until the people that you're working with understand it, and then bring in specialists when you get beyond the point that 
you know, you can, you know, understand it and deal with it. So I, what I learned to do was to understand technologies from various fields and be able to communicate those in a very clear and concise manner to marketing, to business leaders, to executives who come from different backgrounds. And, and so that kind of became my, my forte. And then, you know, as I learned the different elements of the business, then things, you know, the puzzles start to come together in the, the game, so to speak begins to slow down a little bit and you can see how this affects that and this part affects that and you start to be able to kind of formulate this together into a full package. And so that's what enabled me to then make the leap from a Fortune 500 company where you're really kind of focused narrowly into an entrepreneurial environment where you're managing everything from the P&L and the financial statements, the strategy, all the way to sometimes having to clean the bathroom. You know, it, it's a different mindset and you have to look at it holistically. Jump in head first, feet first, put your, your whole self in it. One thing that a lot of companies do, and I think it is to their detriment, is when they're hiring people, salespeople specifically, they want, I call them industry insiders. Like, oh, okay, I'm an ad company or I'm a catalyst company. And so I have to have somebody who understands the technology. And so me, I always push back because that's what I do. And I say, do you believe in your product? Do you have a good product? If you have a good product and you believe in it, you can teach anyone how the technology behind it. You need strong salespeople, right? And I feel like with you, when you made that leap, you had all of the strong skills, right? You knew how to do all of those roles with the company. So when you made that transition, you just had to learn the technology, right? You just had to learn the industry. So that is definitely something I can see how you really just jumped in. So tell us about your current position and um, in this industry that, as you said, it is very flat. Year over year, we don't see much growth in the agriculture industry. Talk about some of the ways that you have grown this company. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, one of the, the decisions that you have to make when you come into stagnant business is, you know, do you want to take a, you know, what is sometimes a traditional approach where you go in and you you cut and you get down to some finite common denominator and you just try to work on just the financial part of the business. The other way you could go is to say, look, let's be aggressive. We know what we're good at. Let's leverage that. Let's invest in people and in technology and take a risk, you know, because life is about risk and sometimes you have to take risk. And so my business partners and I, we looked at those two options and we said, you know what? We know the fundamentals of our business. We know what's going to drive us in the future. Let's take a risk and let's invest. And so what we did is we, we invested domestically in our sales force. We began to invest domestically in, you know, not only technology development, but understanding the existing products that we have better so that we could communicate them to our customers, we could be a value add to our customers. And so we invested heavily in hiring and training our sales force and then testing and developing our pro new products. And then we noticed that, you know, agriculture is cyclical. And so in the United States, it's all about the first six or seven months. And then the farmers are harvesting. So revenue hits, 
and you make your money and then you kind of give it back in the second half of the year as they're harvesting and you're preparing for the next year. But we have geographies in South America who begin planting in that opposite season. So the second thing that we did is we began investing heavily in international development. So we uh, we looked at two key areas. One was the uh, continent of Africa, uh, the other, which is a, an emerging market, uh, high growth and people. They're behind in terms of how they feed their people. So we, we felt like that was rich to bring new technology to improve their yields and, and quality. And then South America, Brazil's the third largest agricultural producer in the world. And so we began investing heavily there. We're now two years into that, and we're now beginning to get close to the fun part, which is, you know, realizing the fruits of our labor and seeing the, you know, the, the revenue start to come through. So you mentioned a, a couple of things. I have three P's that I always talk about. It's people, process, profit. And I always start with people first, which many people are like, no, 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 it's all about the money. And you invested in building a sales force and you trained the sales force. And then you figured out the process that they needed to follow in order to be successful. And now that you guys are becoming profitable. And another thing that I really like that you said is you, when you mentioned the continent of Africa, you said the people there, right? So a lot of times we think about the widgets that we sell, the products that we sell, and we just think about them in a silo. We don't think about the end use or what we're doing to impact a human being because everything every company in the world sells is impacting human beings. And I think that the way that you've humanized what you're doing within the company and who you're serving is really what sets you up for success. Yeah, Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, which is a real foundational book, talks about the hedgehog principle. And one of the things that he mentions in there is he says a company has to figure out what they're passionate about. And when we distilled what we're passionate about, we are passionate about our farmers. So we have an internal saying, farmers first. And externally, we want to be the trusted advisor. So we want to be sort of the Yoda for our farmers. We're not the hero. We want to be the company that walks beside them and helps them to reach their full potential. And so people are extremely important. And if we don't have the right people here in the right mindset, then we can't be that trusted advisor to the customer at the end of the day. So tell me, give us some tips on how you were able to really build this sales force that you said you trained them, you identified the right people, and now you guys are breaking into new markets. What are some tips that you would give others who are trying to build and develop a sales force? Well, I think the, the first thing is, you know, you've got to get the right people on the bus and the right people on the bus in the right seat. And we spent a lot of time, you know, figuring out who are the right people. And they're, they're sometimes, you know, some people are just not meant for an organization. They're meant for a different organization. And so we, you know, the first thing was to get the right people on the bus in the right seat. And then it was all about getting together as a full team. And this is such a challenge. Right now, you know, we're, we had planned this year for 50% growth which was tremendous. We're actually seeing nearly 40% above that. And it's stressing every system that we have in our company right now. So we have a blessing, but we also have this huge, you know, burden and stress to, to deal with the blessing. And so, you know, what we're having to do right now is leverage, you know, that team and being a team partner uh, means that we have to hold each other accountable 
and we have to focus on the important aspects of the company and the, the key things that we, we decided as a group that we were going to do. And that's armor first and our core technology. So you guys are having a problem that most people would be very happy to have, but it's, you know, increased profit, increased revenue doesn't come without its own challenges. And it sounds like you guys are really, you're still focusing on the internal customer and the external customer, right? The external customer is a farmer. The internal customer are the salespeople who are going out there. They're the operations people. They're the people in the factory. They're everyone who's fulfilling. And you're really tempering the expectations of what is expected of everyone and still working as a team, which I think is excellent. And so you projected 50% and you're 40% above that. So you're like at 90% growth. Is my math right? Yeah. Well, right now, of course, we'll see how that continues. But uh, yeah, it is um, it is challenging beyond measure right now. <laughs> mm. So in your, are you planning on expanding the sales team? Are you planning on kind of just riding it out for the next couple months to see what happens? What are your, what are your plans for the growth? Yeah, we want to expand our sales team by about 30%. Uh, we are going to have to expand our supply chain and logistics team, uh, probably 30%. That's because the growth has to be managed, you know, from an operation standpoint. Uh, we're also investing in our R&D team. So we've hired uh, this year uh, two PhDs, one a plant pathologist and the other a soil scientist. So you know, we're, we're doing a lot of, uh, a lot of growth and then we're leveraging in-country a partnership so that we don't have to, you know, try to manage those people directly, but we can bring partnerships into the equation to uh, to take that uh, in-country support. Ah, I like that strategic plan. Grow some internally, grow some arms externally, because, you know, as people are out there selling other products, as affiliates or distributors, hey, why not sell this product also? That's awesome. And you're not, again, so many people get a product, right? Especially in this technical area, they get a product and they're like, oh, this is the best thing since sliced bread. We're just going to ride this out forever. And they forget about the R&D. And so they stop innovating. And then after they run that pipeline out or the thrill is gone or the competitors come in, they don't have anything. And so really continuing to invest in that R&D while you're thinking about channels to get the product to market, I know that you guys are setting yourself up for success this year. So tell me about, I mean, we talked about so many success stories, but I wanted to get a little granular. Uh, give me a success story of a specific team or a person who was an underdog, or maybe they were underperforming and they just really blew things out the water for you. It could be at this company or a previous company. Sure. So we have a, a couple of our sales guys, and I was actually in these meetings. This was uh, about two years ago. We were at a conference, a trade show, and uh, this started at a um, the diner at the hotel, and it started with two of our sales guys and a farmer. And they were just having a conversation over breakfast about what's working for you, what's not working for you. And so just having a breakfast meeting. The next day, there was about four or five farmers. The next day, there was about 10 farmers. By the end of the trade show, you couldn't get a seat in there because what we recognized was that as the agricultural industry has grown, become very um, business-like in that relationships aren't that important. They call a farmer, take an order, and that's about the only time that they see them. And our farmers really wanted to sit down and collaborate. What are other guys doing? What are other gals doing? How are we overcoming these problems? What's the new technology? What are the new products? How do you combine these together? And so that one week of meetings ended up turning into a, um, 
a group of farmers called the Mac Group, which is now probably our largest growth within our company. And this is groups of farmers who are coming together now, and they uh, they want to learn from each other. They want to learn from us. They want to improve their profitability. So that's a great success story because that was just two of our sales guys listening and carrying on a conversation. And now that's driving a significant amount of the growth in our company. And it goes back to farmer first being the trusted advisor. I love it. I would sum that up and call it humanizing the sales experience, right? Because again, a lot of times it really doesn't matter what you sell. You can commoditize it all the time, right? But at the end of the day, what the customer wants is they want to know that they matter and they want to know that you're listening to them. And, you know, hey, I'm driving through your town. Can I stop by and talk to you kind of thing? And I think that element is gone so much these days. We're in a virtual world, but you can still do a, hey, I was just thinking about you kind of thing. I just sent an email to somebody randomly on Sunday because I was like, I read this article and I thought about you. And they're like, wow, thank you. It's the small touches, right? Humanizing the sales experience. Awesome. Jeff, you have been a pleasure to chat with. And I know that some of my guests would love to chat with you or reach out to you after. Pick your brain. What's the best way for them to get in contact with you? Sure. They can email me at jsangali at monisplantfood.com. So that's J, the letter J, S-A-N-G-A-L-L-I at monisplantfood.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today and letting us all know all about how you can really humanize your sales culture, how you can take a company that, or how you can take something that in an industry that is flat and really exponential growth. It has been a pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Love your show and appreciate your time today. And that is another episode of the Snack Size Sales Podcast. Remember to leave us a review or subscribe. And and everything that you do, transform your sales. Thank you for joining us today on the Snack Sized Sales Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and leave us a review. Learn how to continue increasing your bottom line by getting simplified sales strategies delivered to your inbox weekly by going to www.snacksizedsales.com. Trust me, your bank account will grow and love you.